Welcome back to the Swim Swim Breakdown. It's been a couple weeks, but we're back. I'm Coleman Hodges, your host, as always, coming to you today from Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I'm visiting my PhD in and out of the pool, Brother Wyatt. Uh, we've got Swim Swim Editor-in-Chief Braden Keith in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and we've got David Classy coming to us from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hey, David, can we see one of your chair spins live? Yeah, so like you either got the my small just like we got a quick come in to like to cut to get some energy, or we get we always get sometimes when it's a bigger one, you start from the back and you spin into it like that. Or That's like my favorite, going to Florida. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, someone gift that just <laughs> with a full spin. Or of course, if I, it's a little harder right now, but sometimes you got to get the the full run up in. And hope I don't go out the window. <laughs> if someone makes a gif of you spinning round and around, we're we're playing that when Popovich breaks the 200 free world record. <laughs> I Just would be a perpetual spin. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, since it's been a couple weeks, we've got a lot of topics to talk about. First of which, Caleb Dressel breaks his silence. He posted to Instagram finally. He, you know, he said he took a break. He said he's going to be back. He said he went to Iceland and bought a tractor. Uh, that's that's about all he gave us. It, it wasn't too detailed. Um, what do you what are you guys thinking here about this announcement? Do we think that we've seen Caleb kind of do this before in the past? He took a break after high school. He came back, and then we know how his college career went. He just continued to evolve and evolve. Do you see that being the case here? Or him being an uh, an age enhanced athlete, or certainly older than high school, do you think it's going to be more of a plateau scenario? Did you just call him an age enhanced athlete? <laughs> I don't know. He might age like fine wine. Age might enhance Caleb Dressel. Um, I you know, look, I think he. This is something. It's clear by now that this is something Caleb needs to do. He needs to disappear for six months every once in a while for. His mental health, his stability, his focus, you know, all of these things, it's clear that it's what he needs to do. Um, so, you know, from that regard, it's sort of like, okay, he's doing what he needs to do. Um, you know, we don't have a, a time machine. We can't test out both scenarios. So we don't know whether it's going to work this time or not. You know, I to me, you know, how old is he now? 26? just turned 26. Yeah, I think so. Turned, turned 26 during his silence. Um, and it, to me, he's, it's a, he's in a very different position than when he's done this before going into this, he was the everything he was the alpha and the omega of swimming. Um, you know, obviously there's other big names around Katie Ledecky, et cetera, et cetera. Coming out of this, he is going to be second fiddle in his best event, uh, or in his second, second best event, the hundred free to David Popovich. Um, and, and, you know, the other times he's taken breaks, I don't think there was the same level of expectation from the audience on hearing from him there, you know, I don't think people wanted to know what he was doing when he was in high school and taking a break. I don't think people were as interested. So I think this time when he comes back, he's going to get a different reaction from the public. Um, he's going to walk into a very different scenario than when he left. Um, I get the sense that like, He's not sure. I mean, I know what he said. I know what he said about loving swimming, but I get the sense that he's not sure he really does love swimming anymore. And and it feels to me almost like he's battling 
the notion that he thinks he should love swimming, but doesn't really, or doesn't love the version of swimming that he's been doing the, the professional churn and training and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that when he comes back, he needs to find a different way to do that, be that a, a different way of training or a different way of engaging himself in the sport, which could, could look something like, you know, doing a little more coaching in his um, sort of nominal volunteer assistant job at Florida, maybe spending a little actual time on deck with the team um, could change his perspective on the uh, the sport and refresh him a little. I don't know. Um, but if he just kind of comes back and jumps back into the churn, I think he's peaked. Um, if not, I think he could get better, but I think he's got to do something different. Yeah. I think that with Dressel and you kind of look at, you know, how he, you know, in high school, when he took a similar uh, break and before going into his college career, there's a lot of parallels to kind of the break he's taken right now. And as well as a lot of differences that kind of have cranked everything up to 11, just in terms of like the exposure and notoriety. The similarities are, if you look at the fact coming out of high school, you know, already was in kind of like a stressful kind of just general situation with a lot of external pressure. And then, you know, kind of looking, going into like a coaching change and a big life change of, you know, going to college for the uh, first time compared to where is he at after, you know, the past two years, he came out of probably one of the most stressful stress inducing Olympic cycles in recent memory, huge amount of pressure coming from there, a coaching change again, as well as big life changes. You know, he got married. He only just now got to do his honeymoon and he didn't maybe didn't take, he took some of a break after they tried to go into ISL and then pulled out of that and kind of took a bit of a break before going into more in-depth training after a bit of a gap there. And it seems like he maybe needed that longer distance, uh, like a break from training as well as a more of a distancing from the sport in general seems to be just everyone kind of processes different things in different ways. And it could be that Dressel, like you said at the beginning needs to every so often just vanish from the public eye for a bit which is harder to do now that you have all this media attention and notoriety uh he was already doing similar things around uh the end of ncaa career he was vocal about the fact that he would absolutely turn off everything for social media and before big meets just to tune out as much that external pressure i think he is thrives when he's able to shut out that external pressure and just focus on the internal pressure that he's going to be facing in races and day-to-day training and stuff like that. So I think the more he can do that as well as, you know, any kind of other life adjustments that he needs to make or just acclimating to, you know, he's recently moved, new coaching environment, new training environment, adjusting to all those things can take time. I do think there are lots of bits and pieces we've kind of um, seen from him that indicate that he does have some extra bit of potential i think uh to like keep going further from where he is that would you know be breaking a potential plateau uh the biggest thing that stood out to me was when he was talking about how he was hitting prs in the weight room that indicates that in some capacity he's getting stronger which in his events that's a very good sign to be able to generate more power for your hundred and down distances that's pretty good as well as the fact that you know anytime you hear him talk about his you know like in his dressel dissect series he's super methodical about various stroke details and techniques and it seems like just the way he thinks about his swimming is less not as much that kind of blunt i just need to put in more work i just need to work harder i seem to do so like that it seems like he's always thinking about those tiny little details not just doing the little things but maybe questioning the little things he's been doing and i just feel like with that kind of stuff it seems like there's a few more elements there that would indicate he at least has some more room 
to continue to improve compared to the possible future of plateau. And even if this, what we've seen of Russell is his peak 46, nine, 21, Oh, and 49, four, that's a pretty good peak. Coleman, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember when he was, took his break in high school. Some, I think somebody told me he joined the track team and was pole vaulting. <laughs> I think I remember that story, um, which sort of lends some some credence to he needs to do something else during his break. You know, Caleb Dressel, to me, should be making enough money at this point that he can pay somebody to do his social media. Um, you know, so I think you make a good point, David, that he d- seems to do best when he can close out the outside world, which sort of aligns with his desire to live on a farm. There's not a lot of outside world on a farm. Um, but it seems to me as though if, you know, if we're we're talking professional athletes, right, we have to remember this is a person whose career is around the publicity of their sport. It seems like that's a solvable problem to me without just disappearing. Um, it seems to me as though he can snap a few pictures of himself on his tractor, log out of his Instagram, send them to somebody and have that somebody manage everything else for him. That's kind of the curious part. And like, you would think, why would someone not take that course of action? Right. And like a, a reason that comes to mind is that they want to still have control of, of, of their persona on their social media. Right. But again, that doesn't really fall in line with wanting to tune everything out. And that's something I've questioned a lot is like, yeah, just get someone to run your social media and then you're still connected to that audience. You're still connected to your public. You're still putting yourself out there to be a professional. Well, in professional sports are entertainment, right? Like you have to remember that at the end of the day, they're entertainment. And for some people like Kevin Durant is a good example. Kevin Durant clearly runs his own social media for anybody who doesn't follow basketball. He loves to get in Twitter fights. That's like (laughs) Kevin Durant's favorite thing to do. Um, But like, that's the entertainment that drives his brand that increases his value. Not everybody does that. Not everybody has to do that. And at the end of the day, magic, the magic of Hollywood, the public doesn't need to know the difference. Um, You know, when you're a public figure on to some degree, you lose control of your image anyway. You know, that's that's part of a, a natural part of it. But like, to me, you 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 depend on the systems that are in place around the world for all kind of celebrities who don't run their own social media or you retire. Like, you know, if, if you're just that not into being a public figure and still want to control your image and yada, 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 then to me, that says you don't actually want to be a professional athlete. And that's a decision that everybody can make. Like he's entitled to make that decision. Um, but I, you know, to me, it's a solvable problem and I'm not sure why he's chosen to go this route with it. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Uh, Unless but... he's trying to make a point or he, you know, he wants the Michael Phelps had talk space sponsorship at the end of the road. Well, but again, you still have to be public and, yeah. <laughs> you know, get your message out there, which I think a lot of swimmers are learning how to do, but they're still not great at, right. It's just putting yourself out there on social media and actually having a presence and making your presence known, whatever that brand for yourself may be, or whatever you're developing your brand to be. Because like you said, some athletes have done it. Some athletes don't need to. And a lot of athletes, it seems like in, in all sports, just 
have not gotten there yet. But moving on to our next topic, uh, that that uh, dre- the person Dressel will now be playing second fiddle to David Popovich competed at the World Junior Championships to cap off his summer in Lima, Peru. We saw a handful of other really sensational swims at that meet as well for, especially for a meet that wasn't super well attended internationally. Um, a lot of countries pulled out for a myriad of reasons. What stood out to you guys the most down in Lima? For me, Diago Rivera winning the 50 free, 50 fly, 100 fly, uh, breaking the world, Michael Andrews world, world junior record in the 50 fly going sub 23. Um, I think this is a gateway to some very good things happening in Portugal. Um, they've had mo- a little kind of smoldering momentum for a few years, but that's a that's a country that should be better in swimming than they are. Um, you know, they have a sporting culture there. And uh, the, the Brazilian coach, Albertinho, who has coached Thiago Pereira and Cesar Cielo and a lot of other Brazilians that everybody's heard of, um, moved to Portugal and he is training Diago Ribeiro. And so I think that Diago's success has been, is open sort of a gateway into what's happening in Portugal and the good things that are happening and the good things that we could see happening into the future. Um, you know, he's, he swims the right events to spark the imagination, right? The 50 free, 50 fly, hundred fly. Those are races that we see around the world tend to get people really excited about swimming. So um, that's what stood out to me the most. Yeah. Obviously that was the number one kind of thing you think of is like, those were, I think some aside from Popovich, who at this point you kind of expect to go fast. Um, the most kind of surprising was like the, the speed and all those events. I think the number one for that was the 50 fly, especially seeing that kind of that speed at a junior meet. Cause those are events you kind of see more are a bit more geared towards the old men. Uh, especially, you know, any kind of, you know, 50, 100, just that extra power that you, um, that you're able to develop, especially, you know, around like, F, you know, like 18 and up, especially those, a lot of like people are, you know, like join like a college program with more serious weight training and stuff like that is so to see that kind of success at a younger age, it's like, wonder where he's going to go from there. Another thing that I found, um, just kind of interesting looking at like overall results, um, was obviously at um, Japan won the overall medal table. And I think the interesting thing with that, if you kind of look at it, was it wasn't necessarily an effort that was propped up by like a handful of studs that were just winning a bunch of stuff. Like they had 14 uh, different swimmers win medals as well as five different individual gold medalists. So that, that kind of spread of uh, just, you know, hardware going around uh, in order to win the medal table is pretty interesting. And just kind of, I think something kind of look out, you know, that could be basis for uh, Japan swimming to, you know, it's been doing pretty well, especially uh, that some good performances coming out of the home Olympics in Tokyo. And it could be a good basis for kind of uh, further building in there, as well as um, looking at the uh, the article that we posted that was the combined medal table of all the juniors meets. One thing I found interesting to kind of bring it back to Romania, I know, uh, Braden, I believe you wrote the article about uh, can Romania build around Popovich. And one thing I found interesting kind of looking at Romania's performance is that if you look at the 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 medal table for world juniors, 
they were tied for fourth. But if you actually look at the medal table where it's combined with all juniors, juniors meets, they actually jump up to third because they're not getting knocked down by the introduction of uh, mostly like American swims that were uh, from junior pan packs, which I thought was pretty interesting. And then on Popovich, I think the most interesting on him, obviously we know he's fast. I think this sealed the fact that he can go fast just when he wants to. It seems like the fact that he's able to drop uh, 47-0, leading off the relay on his fourth major meet of the summer, as well as the fact that his second fastest performance was his, was a 47-13, which when he went it a month and a half prior, set the world on fire. And now it's like, oh yeah, that's an- another day, another Popovich 47-1, right? It's kind of just like, it's almost, he's kind of uh, suffering from what Ledecky does in pro swim series, where if anyone else went the time she would go, it's it'd be eye-popping swim. And then it's like, yeah, that's pretty standard. Were you surprised that he only was 146-1 in the 200 free? I mean, that says to me he wasn't he wasn't going all out, right? He was like ultra tapered. That that's what that says to me was that like he was at the end of the summer and like the speed was still kind of there, but but his endurance had kind of faltered because this was his fourth meet of the season. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I was kind of expecting it um going into it. I was thinking uh, we'd see a bit more hundred speed than 200 speed but at the same time every single time i say anything where i'm expecting less than crazy fast from popovich in the back of my head i'm like you're gonna be proved so wrong in two days or whatever i talked to him a few days before the meet started and he was like well i'm going best times in practice here so i like really don't want to break another world record because it's like there's just too much hype and it's like it's a lot emotionally to handle and he almost did it he didn't but yeah. Next up on our list of topics, USA Swimming announces the short course world champs selection procedure. Uh, it's the same it was last time, um, which a lot of people feel a lot of different ways about. Considering that there's no ISL this year, how, how are you feeling about this selection format? I hate it. And I know everybody, you know, whoever in Colorado Springs listens to this already is sitting back in their chair and smugly saying, we have a reason for doing this. We've always done it this way. It's because the long course swimmers need all of the opportunities because all we care about is Olympic gold medals. And I'm just so sick of that reasoning. Like that's, that's so old school. That's so old fashioned. I feel like at this point when swimmers want big international racing opportunities those opportunities exist go to the world cup meets if you want international racing opportunities but none of them do how can you sit out the world cup every year and then say oh we need one more big international racing opportunity for our top olympic hopefuls to you know it's the world short course championships last round i would argue were about the quality of a world cup meet right? Especially once people started pulling out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And with COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So like, to me, to me, I don't buy that reasoning anymore. I've maybe that reasoning made sense in some period of time, but I do not buy that reasoning anymore in a world where there are enough racing opportunities. There are plenty of racing opportunities and people aren't taking advantage of them. To me, if you're calling it a short course world championship, you should send the world's best short course swimmers, some of which are American and some of which will not be at the meet. Um, and that aggravates me. That's that's head in the sand stuff about the commercial side of the sport and creating excitement. And 
creating advertisement and eyeballs and all of the things that we always say we need on the sport. And it just goes back to Olympic gold medals. That's it. I think the most annoying thing is at this point, it's what is it going to take to change it? Because last year we had world record holder Coleman Stewart not on the short course world's teams. And that made just so much noise and drew so much attention to the fact that, hey, this is a really outdated way of doing things. I think anytime that the reasoning comes back to, well, we've always dot, 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 it's not a good reason. And it's kind of infuriating to look at that whole fiasco last year and then go, okay, for next year, we're doing the same thing. (laughs) What? (laughs) To me, me what's surprising, you ask, what's it going to take? To me, Lindsay Mantenko being in charge of the national team, having been a high level athlete, to me, that was the moment that it was going to change it. But what it says to me is that as the national team director, she's listening more to the old men who were her coaches than to the current athletes now. That's that's the only plausible explanation, because I think the at this point, all of the athletes would be fine with this change. And that's what I'd love to know. Maybe we can set up like an anonymous survey who among the national team athletes are happy about this arrangement um, where the short best short course swimmers are left out? It, you know, I can think of people who would be like Ryan Murphy doesn't want to go swim a short course meet to have to qualify for this, but he doesn't go to short course worlds. Neither does Katie Ledecky. Like the, the people who I would think would be like, no, I earned my spot. In the spring, I I want to be able to focus on my long course training without having to go to a short course taper meet. Those swimmers don't go anyway. So like I just I just don't I'd love to know which national team athletes are sitting around and asking for this or if their opinions are not being asked at all. Yeah, it's just a bad sign to me when in the comments people are like, Oh, thank goodness Beta Nelson is eligible this time. It's right. like this shouldn't be the case, right? We shouldn't be thanking USA Swimming to make because they they because one of our best athletes is now eligible under the same guidelines. Like, yeah, I mean, we we should be sending our best team. Looking at it from a straight dollars perspective, if you send a better team, you bring more money into USA Swimming that doesn't have to come from the age group swimmers, right? So much of the money that comes into swimming is basically cannibalized off of age group swimmers. It's it's like a parasitic relationship where professional swimming is built on the back of age group swimming. Um, And this is an opportunity to bring money into American professional swimming without it costing the age groupers any money. And that to me is a missed opportunity um, if you're not maximizing that prize money. So uh, on this note, another USA Swimming example of maybe dropping the ball or just an an interesting choice of procedure uh the the u.s national team was announced which you know kind of gives way to who is uh qualify who qualifies or who's eligible for the short course world roster um and the the most interesting part about this 2022-23 national team was that they changed the criteria pretty close to before it came out to make dual in the pool eligible which ended up bouncing or bouncing grant house out of the national team and putting Trenton julian on in the 200 freestyle uh thoughts on this kind of <laughs> game time decision change of procedures i again want to know who was asking for it you know and 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 in this time it's less rhetorical and it's more of a specific question who 
who came to USA Swimming and said, I'm not going to duel in the pool if it doesn't get me on the national team, or I'm not tapering for duel in the pool if it doesn't get me on the national team. And USA Swimming said, oh, we want all of our athletes fully rested. Mind you, everybody told us the whole time that the times don't count. We don't care about the times. We're focused on the excitement and the racing, blah, blah, blah. I want to know who came to USA Swimming and said, my athlete is gearing their summer toward duel in the pool. And I want to know that that's going to count to get them on the national team. Um, I would love, and we will never find out, right? To be clear, nobody will ever answer this question. I would love to know if the decision was made before or after the results of duel in the pool, because if it's after, that's heinous. I mean, that if, if it's after, that's, that's borderline yeah. a violation of the Ted Stevens Amateur Sports Act. Um, even if it's before, it might be. I, I just don't know yeah. how you can change that criteria so late in the year. Um, and, you know, from a, again, from an optics standpoint, we don't know what's going to happen with Trenton Julian and his current restrictions. It's I, I don't believe we can call it a suspension, but he is under safe sport restrictions. And depending on what happens there, the fact that he benefited from this policy just in terms of optics makes it look even worse. Um, if they changed it, knowing that he was the one that was going to benefit, I just I have nothing else to say ever about USA Swimming. Um, but, you know, even if they didn't know, that's that's a that's a bad look. That's a real bad look for given the history of USA Swimming and these sorts of things. It's a situation where if it was before, it's bad. If it was after, it's really bad. Unforgivable. Next up on our list of topics, uh, the Texas men made kind of a, a big and kind of a cool flex at the quadrathlon where all their swimmers swam a 50 of each stroke. Uh, Shane Casas made the biggest flex, scoring the most points on the Eddie Reese scoring system in, in school history. Uh, but that kind of brought up the question. We compared results to Virginia and to Indiana who have both done similar events. Um, and I actually kind of brought up this question because I was talking to Herbie Bame at ASCA and he, who is at duel in the pool. And he was like, I think we should do kind of like some of these, like, you know, skins or mixed IMs or like some of these off events at, at college duel meets. It would just be fun to see. Um, and so Herbie with this, the, the associate head coach at Arizona state for anybody who doesn't know. Thank you for the clarification. Uh, so what do you guys think about off events in college dual meets? I love it. Um, I think, I think this is fun. Like there's, there's just college dual meets so often fall so flat. Like this gives us something new to talk about. It gives other teams new targets to test themselves against. Um, we already have a ton of events in swimming, but it's almost like people are just craving new events. This is just, this is essentially a glorified broken 200 IM. Um, and they figured a way to repackage it, assign points to it and make people care, right? Nobody cares about the score of a dual meet, but there was a lot of interest about the score of a broken 200 IM. And that to me says everything you need to know about creativity, um, you know, I think the the pioneer of this was Mike Bottom, and I'm not sure why he went away from it, but kind of 2010, 2011, 2012, when they won the NCAA title, they used to do a water carnival where they do things like they'd set the bulkhead at 20 yards and see if they could break the 60-year-old um, school records in the yards course freestyle races, like the 100 yards in a 20-yard pool school records, because 
some pools used to be 20 yards long. Um, and so I, I don't know why he got away from it, but that used to be a lot of fun to watch a lot of, it's like the set, the 75 with fins, right? Like it's just something different. It's, swimming is all about measurements and testing and times and giving people a different way to measure themselves is sure a heck of a lot better than a dual meet where somebody declines to score points in the last four events because they don't want to hurt their opponent's feelings. Like it's just, it's just a new way to evaluate these meets that people work really hard to not evaluate. So I am a hundred percent for more of these kinds of events. I think it's really good for everyone involved. Uh, it's obviously it's more fun to watch be like, Oh, what does a, what is this event? What is this event going to entail rather than, you know, cause normally when as a standard dual meet as someone who's just like checking in the, you know, the Monday after all the meets from the weekend are in, you just like go through and you see like fast swim, fast swim, fast swim event winners. Okay. And then that's kind of all that really sticks out is like, oh, you know, like it's a good metric of, oh, wow, you know, Texas looks really good this year. Oh, wow. I didn't think that so-and-so from Indiana would be this fast. No, but, and- but nobody ever looks good or bad after a dual meet. They just look rested or not rested. Or <laughs> oh, yeah. Or but no one ever tapers. And also, no uh, tapers. except also, for dual meets, except yeah. for big rivalry <laughs> dual meets. And Michigan we Ohio hate Percy's favorite year, team. We'll taper. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Uh, uh, but No, go ahead, David. I was going to say, I, I love the off events from a perspective of the athletes as well, because during that long slog in normally it's around like October time where you're beat down from training. And then that's also when most of your dual meets are loaded in where it's like you see three, four weekends in a row where it's like, great, another meet. I think for a lot of athletes having a like fun off event meet in there. Cause I think I've seen um, meets that are relay meets where you do a bunch of crazy relays. You do four by one hundreds of stroke. You can see backstrokers do a dive start into the pool. That's fun to watch. You can do stuff like if you want to throw a relay for the distance swimmers and everyone else goes and takes a group nap in the locker room for half an hour, that's the thing you can do. And I think it's just good to break up the kind of slog that, dual meets can be for the athletes and if you think about the actual purpose of dual meets in ncaa swimming because people only care about their conference or ncaa meets it's realistically just an extra training tool and it's to train your racing you can still race doing i mean you could race doing a hundred corkscrew if you wanted to if you really were just about your your guts racing but then about you know other things that transfer over if you are doing a four by 100 relay of stroke uh, you know backstroke flying start aside you are still training the same things it's just kind of repackaged and a more fun thing and i think it also invites some more energy because a lot of those more gimmicky things tend to be shorter snappier things for that spectators to latch on to i also want to see more hundred ims what i also love about this is dual meets can sometimes lack those big head-to-head matchups that drive championship meets and this sort of thing is a way to pit Shane Casas and Carson Foster against each other, get the, the, you know, the two current biggest names at the University of Texas and race them head to head. And I think, you know, this particular format probably benefits Shane because it's a four by 50. If it was a four by 200, I think Carson would probably win it. Um, but that's, I think that's another upside. You know, it, it feels like we always have two opposing forces in swimming. And on the one side, it's like, the belief that we only get better with misery. And on the other side, it's the belief that we only get better with engagement. And, and I wonder how many coaches, how many of these coaches, the misery coaches are sitting here thinking, 
what are my swimmers going to learn about racing a 400 IM by doing 450s at eight minutes on September 9th? They, there's no benefit to that. They'd be better off just doing a 12 by 400 IM descend, and then we'll have one big taper in three years. We'll do a three-year taper. Um, so this this definitely leans, which you know fits with Mike Bottom, um, fits with what Virginia does um, a little more. But there's definitely more of a sense of uh, you know high engagement here. And you know Ray Luz, I think, likes to put his swimmers through some misery, but he also clearly understands the engagement and the marketing of doing things different. In Indiana, every season does four or five things that. I'm 90% sure exist only to get them on swim swim more often, which I am totally fine with any other program that wants to do that. Go for it. Um, but you know, he, he understands the need for engagement through the misery. Um, and so I think it's interesting that both the high volume and the high quality sides of the spectrum have embraced this a little bit. I mean, if ISL taught us anything, it was, you know, for, for all of its faults, uh, ISL was fun to watch, right? Duel in the pool. The first time was it was fun, fun to, to watch. watch. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the, these things experimented and they went off book and it, it was fun to watch for fans. It got people on swim, swim, getting heated about all sorts of things. And it was great. And, uh, and the athletes loved it right? The athletes liked the racing environment. They liked going head to head in events that you didn't really know what the outcome would be. And you didn't really know what the outcome meant aside from the fact that you won or you didn't win, you know? And so saying that winning and losing matters, (laughs) every age group coach I ever had hot take (laughs) brain explosion. (laughs) I think it would add another level to coaching as well to college coaching of you, you know, being at NCAAs, I mean, I know Braden, you've seen this before. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes being a coach at NCAAs does actually involve strategy and doing, and, and, and doing things and making game time decisions. And this would help coaches with that, right? Because you actually have to analyze if, if you're scoring a dual meet that has only fifties or that has off events, it's like, you have to really consider it and think about, okay, how is this going to affect the, the team score? So I think it would be fun in that regard too. Next up, Queen Elizabeth II passes at age 96, uh, which she herself was had a aquatic background in her own right. But uh, Braden, more in the swimming realm, uh, you wrote an article kind of questioning how this would affect things moving forward with the Commonwealth and specifically with the Commonwealth Games, uh, what what were your thoughts on this? You know, when I started writing that article, the, the thought going through my head was, this is the end of the Commonwealth Games. Um, I don't think, I, I don't think they mean as much to the populace of the vast majority of the Commonwealth nations. We saw this year, they apparently still mean a lot to Australians. Um, the Brits were hit or miss, unclear how much they were engaged. You know, India cares in certain sports and in, in swimming, there's a hand, a small handful of countries that care and in other sports, it's different small handfuls and cricket, it might be a different set of countries. Um, by the time I was at the end, you know, I, I sort of changed my opinion that 
there is a value to this, but they need to be modernized. It needs to feel to me less, um, less about sort of maintaining the British authority over their former subject nations. And it needs to be more about how those nations can build partnerships based on their common histories forward into the future. Um, and I think a reframing of the event can can really sort of re-engage people about what they meet, mean. You know, it reminds me of the old, um, like the Goodwill Games, for example. I, I, you know, and the Goodwill Games didn't survive. So maybe that's a terrible example. Um, but I think that with the geopolitical situation in the world as it is today, I think there's room for those kind of, you know, alliance-driven sporting events if they can be framed the right way. Um, you know, Queen Elizabeth, as we've seen since she died, has sort of a complicated legacy. And a lot of that isn't her fault, even though she was queen for 70 years. Um, England, like many, many countries in the world, has a bad history of colonialism. And most of the Commonwealth nations are a product of that history of colonialism. During Queen Elizabeth's reign, there was actually a lot of decolonializing. Um, and I think now that she's gone, that process will accelerate. Um, but there is still a common history, right? Like the UK and Australia are still very, very closely tied. Canada and the UK are closely tied. There are other programs that these nations share. If you are a citizen of one before a certain age, you can go work without a visa in the other countries, for example. So there are a lot of ties there. And I think with the passing of the Queen and, and King Charles and uh, Prince William, who is the new heir to the throne, um, have both said that they want to modernize the monarchy. And I think this is an opportunity to do that. You put India and Jamaica and other Caribbean islands and some of the African nations all on the same footing as the home nations, Wales, England, Scotland, etc., um, and to me, that provides a cultural and social value to the people from those countries. They, they play the same sports, right? Like the Commonwealth um, cricket matches are the best, most of the best cricket teams in the world. Um, so there's, you know, that that sporting, that overlapping sporting culture is representative of their shared history. And so I think it just needs to be reframed. It needs to be modernized. And the Commonwealth Games have been due for that for a long time, but now is the real opportunity for them to move forward with those plans, I think. Do you think in a scenario where like if the actual Commonwealth Games themselves, like for whatever, you know, one reason or another kind of like fall apart, do you think there's a scenario where a almost like spiritual predecessor with a lot of the same countries kind of if if they're not able to reform and refit and kind of be more about the shared history, do you see a scenario where a new games that's basically the commonwealth games but not in name kind of forms actually toting those principles absolutely i think that's that's a great a great point um i think it'd be kind of amusing if that reformed games didn't include the uk like if it intentionally excluded them um but you know not it's 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 kind of funny because not all of the um, members of the Commonwealth are former British colonies. I think they were all former colonies of somewhere in Europe. Um, and throughout its history, different countries have been invited to the Commonwealth. France was going to join before ideas for the EU came about. 
um, the Commonwealth was going to include most of Europe. Like, eh, I don't know if going to is the right word, but that that was a real conversation that was happening. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, that would be really interesting. Maybe, maybe the Commonwealth games need to die and something new needs to be put in its stead because the Commonwealth games haven't always been the Commonwealth games. They were once the... I think called the games of the British empire or something. And in some scenarios they share the history and in some they don't. So maybe that's the solution. They, they call it the, the best friends games or whatever. Um, and that's how they can reframe it outside of the context of British colonialism. It is interesting to me that like you have the Commonwealth countries, but then we have all these other meets on the, on that, even non-Olympic year where it's like European championships, UK is obviously a part of that as well. Pan Pacific championships, Australia is obviously part of that. And I maybe one or two other Commonwealth countries are, but you know, and then you have a Caribbean and Central American championships. Jamaica is obviously part of, you know, it's like there's all these other meets that like could kind of incorporate the Commonwealth countries. And like if, if Commonwealth games did dissipate and there wasn't that, spiritual predecessor like would it would it matter that much i don't know i mean so here's what's here's one way that i think they could approach this if they want to modernize it and they want to keep the commonwealth games together if if there's somebody in the uk that has a vested interest in this um i think you could set up a system and i'm going to use a word that's going to trigger a lot of people but it's a word that exists outside of the context in which you normally hear it and it applies here um, you could use a form of reparations. The the uh, royal trust, the trust that funds the the royal activities, um, is a multi billion dollar enterprise. It's a huge thing. You know, the queen. I think I read um, had a personal net worth of over half a billion dollars, and that doesn't include the corporation that sits outside of their personal wealth that funds their activities and lifestyles. If you could start using that corporation to fund sporting activities in some of these countries that were formerly colonized by the Brits, I think that would be a great way to modernize the games. I think that would be a great way to sort of shift what they represent and recognize some of the terrible history while also um, recognizing that there could be value in future partnerships between these nations. All right, so that wraps up our main news for this week. And now it's time to play our favorite game on the Swim Swam Breakdown, Sink or Swim. First up today on Sink or Swim, Swim Swam Pulse says that 73% believe that the men's 200 freestyle will be the next world record to fall. Do you? Can you please read the full question? No, 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 no. Leave this in, Coleman. You're not cutting this out because this is the same thing that the overwhelming majority of our readership read as. So read the full question so that everybody knows exactly what the question is. Question. With David Popovich taking out the men's 100 free mark, which individual world record from 2009 will be the next to fall. And that's the key uh, wording. And that's why it was such an overwhelming favorite for it to be the 200 free. So the races, I'm going to run through them real quick. Uh, Mm -hmm. Men's 50 free, men's 200 free, men's 400 free, men's 800 free, uh, men's 200 back, Aaron Pearsall. Women's Uh, two fly and women's two free. And men's 800 free relay. I don't know if we put relays in the poll. Oh, I don't Um, think... 
they did. But so while the 400 IM very well could be the next one, the fact that it said 2009, the men's 400 IM world record was set in 2008. Uh, so that's why that was such an overwhelming favorite among our readers. I mm, I disagree. I'm going to sink it. I think it's going to be the 200 back. And I'm not sure I know who it's going to be. I'm not sure I have that answer. But with the progress that the world has made in the 100 back since that world record has fallen, um, along with all of the other men's 200 meter events, I just feel like if it's going to be Daniel Deal, if it's going to be somebody we haven't heard of yet, I feel like somebody is coming along ready to break that 200 back world record. David? For me, I'm between the like swimming it because Popovich and sinking it not for the 200 back, but for um, the women's 200 freeze. So between both 200 freeze, I think both those have a decent chance it's weird to say a decent chance for the men's 200 free given you know even just six months prior if you said that someone think you had a brick dropped on your head but the fact that titmus was so close uh last year and she had that really strong relay swim at commonwealth this year that was actually the fastest relay swim of all time faster pellegrini was able to go with a flying start i think it feels like popovich he went as fast as he could have gone this year and it wasn't quite enough for a world record and you know some you know just general progression needs to come about in the next year next two years you know get stronger get more aerobically fit you know all the stuff that all the reasons why you train to get better it feels like titmus has most if not all of the puzzle pieces she needs in order to get you know drop that 10th and get that record but just needs to get them all assembled at the right meet. So I feel like it's betting against will Popovich get the last piece, whatever that is that he needs to get all, you know, to get just you know, drop that second, but at his current trajectory, that's not as big of an ass as it is for someone who's been stuck at times for whatever. I mean, in the hundred free in, you know, for the past three years, he's dropped 3.8 seconds in a hundred meter race. That's a huge chunk of time less than a second now it starts to sound a lot more doable or someone who's been right on the cusp and i feel like since you know even though it wasn't the 200 cents titmus went a best time this year to break that 400 free world record i think i'm going to sink it but not for the 200 back for the women's 200 free but i think those two are going to be really close together i think it's a race between popovich and titmus okay well david was giving his answer i looked up the times from the world championships in the 200 back and ryan murphy won it with a 154.5 I didn't realize we were still that far from the world record. So I like David Dancer better. Um, uh, but I still think I I would put the men's 200 free as the third most likely. I just, I don't know. It's, it feels like those nine tenths is a long way to go. I just think, I just think somebody's closer to the women's 200 free and then somebody's going to come from nowhere in the men's 200 back because we are not close. I I definitely agree with the one. I'm sinking it. Full sink. I do not think that will be the next to go. I think David Popovich can break that tuner free world record, but I don't think it will be the next to go. You've got to be 24 to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, or at least, I'd say at least 19. Give him two years. Um, oh, you're calling the, the women's 200 free world record going down in the next year? No, no. I, 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 I am I am sinking it in favor of the men's 50 free because Ooh. I think Caleb Dressel took his rest. He will be back 
better than ever in that event. I'm not, I, I don't know about the hunter free or the hunter fly. He took his high school break, won an NCAA title in the 50 freeze freshman season. Ooh. I think his, his speed will be the first to come back. In, so Coleman after is this break. Caleb Dresser, world record, uh, Japan, 2023. World That's what I'm calling. <clears throat> Fukuoka. It's happening. Fukuoka. Next up on sink or swim, Chad LeClo announced that he was moving to Germany to train with Dirk Lang, who has a history of training, uh, elite athletes, especially from South Africa, uh, notably Cameron Vanderberg. He also trained Olympic medalist, Sandra Volker Volker of Germany and uh, short course world champion Mark Foster. Uh, so my question is that with this move and just with Leclos' career moving forward, do you see him being on a podium for an international long course meet again? I so my instinct is to sink it and say no podiums. Um, if we're talking, we're talking worlds and Olympics, right? We're not talking Commonwealth Games. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, because the next, well, the next Commonwealth Games would be in four years, and that. But yes, yes, Worlds and Olympics. Um, I, you know, I think it's a good move. I want to be clear that I think this was a good coaching move. I think Chad historically has done well when he swam for coaches that gave him a lot of structure um, to his training and his training schedules, and I think Dirk Lang is the kind of coach who will do that. Um, I'm not sure. In his prior situation with uh, Sonny Trigg and and those guys, I'm not sure he had the structure he needed. He didn't have somebody demanding that he do things. Um, I think it was collaborative, which I think works for some people and not for others. Mm-hmm. My sense is that that Chad does a little better when he's got more structure, top down structure from his coach. So I think it was a good move. Um, it's going to be tough, you know, like. Does he have the passion to train for the 200 fly? Like to me, that's, that's the event where the opportunity is. I don't think there's much of an opportunity in the hundred fly. Um, I don't think there's much of an opportunity in the 200 free or the 200 IM to me, the opportunity is the 200 fly. And so that's the event that made him famous, right? Like that's, that's his baby. That's the event where he beat Phelps. Um, can he rekindle the passion for the 200 fly and training for the 200 fly at 30 years old. My thought is no. So I think he, I think this is a good move. I think he'll knock on the door of some medals in some events, but I don't think he'll get on the podium. Yeah. I think if you look at his, I agree that his best chance would be in the 200 fly. I just think that in other events that he's focused on or contested in the past, there's too many spots that are locked up, right? You look at the hundred, uh, 100 fly you have Dressel and Milak at a strong one too and you have you know people like uh Casas and Michael Andrew obviously they both can't contest with Dressel but just in general you have that you know that 50 point speed that's becoming a lot more common really hard to break in there 200 free you obviously have Popovich and you have the Brits that are getting down to that 144 low territory that's kind of crowding out the medals in there your best bet seems to be in the 200 fly and I think just if you're going between the the field and Laclo for the 200 fly at 30 years of age. And with that, if you had to choose any of those events, I feel like the 200 fly is the worst one to need to try and focus all your training on. Uh, so I'm going to sink that just because I think it's more likely that he's going to, you know, definitely make the final, but get crowded out of the medals at the end. You know, probably if, if they give a medal for the fastest 100 split in a 200 fly, he'd probably grab one of those. <laughs> 
so Chad LeClaw hasn't <laughs> the last time he was sub 51 in the hundred fly was 2018 at the Commonwealth Games. He's done it twice. He did it at the 2015 World Championships and the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Um, and so if he wasn't I I don't see a world where 51 something medals in the hundred fly ever again. Um, and if he hasn't been able to do it at 27, 28, and 29 years old, I don't see him all of a sudden going 50. I don't see him going best times in the 100 fly at 30 years old. Crazier and, things have happened. I just don't, I wouldn't put money on it. And that's where you're wrong. Cause I <laughs> am swimming it, but oh, this is, this is say. what Chad needs to do. I know what you're going to say. Scratch, scrap the 200 fly. It's too uh, fast. It's too fast. He, his best is 152.9, which would have barely meddled at Worlds this year. And he hasn't gone that in a decade. Scrap the 200 free. It's gotten way too fast. He takes 144 to medal. No. 100 fly. His best is, we forget, you're right. He's only been 50 point twice. His, but his best from 2015, granted, is 50.5. And that medals. That's uh, not what I thought you were going to say. So, in fact, you are wrong again, Coleman. <laughs> um, what you should have said was the event that none of us were thinking of, but they do swim it at the Long Course World Championships, the 50 fly. You didn't let me finish. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> Chad Chad needs to, to train speed and focus on the 50 fly and 100 fly because he can do it short course. We've seen his speed there and granted more walls, right? But... If he if he focuses on that at his age, I think he can medal, and I think he can win a medal in the fifty or the hundred. If yeah, I mean Nick Santos is the the dream, right? He needs to do some of that Nick Santos training. Um, yeah, it only took twenty two seven to medal in the fifty fly. His personal best is twenty three two. Um, but again, when he was in South Africa, he swam for a structured coach and a coach who likes to focus on the Olympics and the 50 fly is not an Olympic event. So that wasn't a race. He was swimming all that often at the biggest international meets. I don't know that he ever swam it at the world championships, for example. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's probably the opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I just see the 100 fly as his best shot because the 200s, I agree, he could make the finals but it's not going to be a medal, I don't think. I think the 50 specifically, not the 100. Eh, okay. <clears throat> I'd say 50 is more likely as well, especially because if his best was, you know, what, during the time he wasn't focusing on the 50 fly, that also means he was focusing on the 200 fly, and those just feel, just in your core, just feel uncompatible with each other. 50s feel too fun if you're training for the 200 fly. Well, and most yeah. of the best 100 butterflyers aren't swimming the 50. Like a mm -hmm. lot of them, Malak doesn't do it, um, although he keeps changing his events and changing his mind about what he wants to swim. Um, who else doesn't do it? I don't know. A lot of I mean, the, the top hundred yeah, fly guys don't yeah. really do it. P Ponty yeah. didn't do it at worlds. And he swims the 200. Yeah. Um, Min uh, Minikov doesn't uh, really do we it. We don't know. Well, he might yeah. not be able to swim one way or the other. <clears throat> That's true. All right. Moving on next up, uh, Braden Holloway talked to him at Aska. I was like, what's the most surprising thing you've seen in practice lately? And he's like, we were doing this technique set. We did some descent hundreds. The guys were going fast. So we were like, hey, you know what? Let's throw on fins and paddles. Or they already had on fins and paddles. Let's do 100 long course for time. And Michael Cotter pops a 46. And then a couple other guys go 46. And I'm like, that's really cool. I love to hear about that. So I posted on Swim Swam. 
And then our commenters just take a crap all over it. They're like, practice times. We don't like hearing that's that. That's not what they said, Coleman. That's not what they said. <laughs> they get so uppity about yeah. practice times. And yeah. uh, they didn't I didn't like get... your, your headline omission. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's, it's funny because 90% of the time, the commenters don't even finish reading the high headline before they comment. And the one time they decided to read the entire headline, they're mad about it. Um, am I the only one who wasn't that impressed? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, again, I love hearing about practice swims because then we have context for other practice swims. I 46 with fins and paddles from guys who are going 48 highs flat start. I don't know. To, to me, that's pretty impressive. I, I mean, that's. I, I guess I just don't know. Like I've, yeah. I've never, I've never been on on a coaching deck with a stopwatch timing guys with pins and fins and paddles to like know what the conversion factor is. I guess mm-hmm. you also need to know what were they, what would they have gone that day in practice? Yeah, with, without fins and paddles, because sure. you know, just if they're forty-eight, oh, flat start, you know, then maybe they're going to go fifty-one without the fins and paddles. Yeah. I, I think the most impressive part is that were they from a dive start? Do we know? I think it was from a push. Oh, okay. I don't, I, I don't that, know though. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, all of that, I'm going to swim it being impressive. I assume that was your question. I didn't let you finish it. <laughs> Now, it, was, it was twofold. It was it was either way. One was it's impressive if it's from a push. The other one is if it's from a dive start. It's almost more impressive because I'm impressed you keep the fins and paddles on. <laughs> I think like if you do it with like well, a right fin and a, le- a, a a right paddle and a left fin, and you're just go spin out in circles. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely more conducive from a push. Especially, and yeah, how big were but... their fins? <clears throat> That's I assume they're an arena team, so I assume they're the arena fins, which aren't the biggest kind. So Coleman, but. this is what we need to do with the practice swims. We just need to nail <laughs> in on the details because I think the key to practice swims is the details. I think the key to practice swim is a video because when we just talk about it, people people get very very touchy. Yeah, and, and they and they go back people to Joe schooling, which <laughs> it's like the favorite American pastime is getting mad. That's true. I'm swimming it. I thought it was impressive. I loved hearing about it. <clears throat> Thank you. I didn't Thank say you, it, but I'm swimming it as well. <laughs> All right. Uh, Hugo Gonzalez announced that he is not returning to Cal for the fall semester. He's uncertain about the spring semester. I keep asking it because your answer might change. I think, Braden, you actually answered this exact question uh, before. But sink or swim, Cal men can win the NCAA title without Hugo. Have they- I feel like the Cal men have gotten a big transfer since we last talked about this. Is that wrong? Couldn't tell you. I I don't recall one, but I'm not sure. Um, I think they can, but I think without him, Texas are the favorites. The Cal men have lost a transfer maybe since then. Forrest Treasure um, mm. went in the portal. I think they can win, but I think Texas is the favorite without this. Um, we have to remember again, Texas, for all the aura and all the mystique and all the titles, they haven't been perfect at their NCAA tapers. Um, they've had some pretty significant NCAA championship misses. They just have so much talent. They have stupid depth of depth of talent that they've been able to overcome it. Um, and last year, they they 
I don't want to say they didn't have the same depth of talent, but they didn't have the same depth of numbers of scorers. And so the the swimmers that missed a little bit, like Alvin Jang, for is an example, um, was enough to drop them and and Cal, uh, was enough to impact them where Cal won the title. Um, and I think this year's Texas team is a lot like last year's Texas team. I think Texas will get a little bit more out of divers um, this year than they did last year. So I think I think Texas um, and Texas, I think, tends to get a little bit better results out of their freshmen, although both teams have done well with freshmen in the past, too. Um, I, I think Texas is the favorite. I think it's close enough that if they stumble, Cal can still win. Um, but I think no Hugo means they're the favorites. And I my opinion, this is not based on any information. I think Hugo will stay in Spain. Um, just, I think Ben Titley is going to talk him into staying, uh, training long course, focusing on long course. That's sort of Ben Titley's specialty as a swim coach is talking collegiate swimmers into staying home and training long course. Um, it's also so, kind of his job. <laughs> that's, that's another way to frame that and probably a much better way to frame that. Um, but I, uh, I think Hugo will stay home in Spain and I think Texas will be the NCAA champions. I, you know, the only exception though, is that Hugo has generally done better while training at Cal than while training in Spain. So he didn't have a good summer in long course. So uh, maybe it didn't matter that much to stay home and train long course. Yeah, I, I agree that, you know, can they? Yes. Are they the, now the favorites too? No, I'd say that it's, you know, just ever so slightly ticks over to Texas being the favorites. Feels like, especially when you're trying to gauge it, you know, as like the kind of more preseason times where it's like, who's the favorite going to be? Then, you know, as the season shapes out, you kind of see. And even then, there's more reasons. It's like, well, Cal has this, this, and this. Well, Texas had that, that, and that. And then we see it at the big dance at the end of the season. And that's a fun NCAA season. But I would say that it winds up being ever so slightly without Hugo advantage Texas. And that's pretty much all I have to say on that piece is just because looking at it uh, preemptively, it feels like there's, you know, there's always the strengths and weaknesses on both teams. And they all just have so much talent with them, especially as the NCAA meet keeps getting deeper and deeper. It's hard to have a lot of scores um, that might impact the way Texas has previously scored points. But I love how this conversation has evolved to where we don't really pretend anymore that there are other teams in the title hunt. I mean, um, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, barring the, probably the only thing that could disrupt this would be N the NC state freshmen having out of their mind freshman seasons, just like catching a wave of momentum and jumping that gap. Um, I, I, or I Kieran and Bobby both coming back mid season. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think, it's a two-team meet still. I, I'm not sure that's going to hold for the next four years, but I think for now it's still a two-team meet. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking it. I, I do think this gives Texas the favor. You guys said it all. I don't need to say any more. Good. That's it for the Swim Swim Breakdown. Tune in every week for your week's news and swimming.